We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights, they are also in the show notes. And all of the show notes can be found at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Jason Avizito, Chief Strategy Officer at the Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation of America, a private equity firm that acquires, builds up, and modernizes established manufacturing companies, eventually giving all ownership back to the employees. Jason's experience with entrepreneurship started when he was 15 and he began a business printing t-shirts. The business did not last long, however, due to the impact of the recession of 2008. Yet, Jason didn't give up. He went on to found his own companies and eventually co-founded MRCA. In this episode, Jason and I talk about how farm manufacturing has come and how it's not the picture many people think it is. Companies are actually finding it more efficient and less expensive to build products in the U.S. The main challenge is finding employees, not because the work isn't fulfilling or well compensated, but because of outworn stereotypes of working in manufacturing. Manufacturing, says Jason, is one of the only industries that allows someone to start without a college degree, be trained, and work their way up into management. The work that MRCA does also seeks to help turn around the devastation wrought on many towns throughout America when companies closed their plants and left. MRCA focuses on helping to grow the company and keeping communities strong while also valuing employee wellness and input. Now, let's get better together. Jason Azevedo, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, what you are doing over at MRCA, you were actually the chief strategy officer over there, is 
absolutely amazing. Um, love the whole idea of bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. so we can actually control some of our destiny on some of these wacky supply chain things, which anyone that's listening to this show has been impacted by, as well as all of the craziness in the world stage when it comes to, well, pretty much every everything. Every there's there seems to be lots of uh, challenge and struggle. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Anything that can kind of bring back what I feel is of strategic importance to not only the well-being of our everyone here, but also our competitiveness in the world stage. And of course, that doesn't mean that I'm anti-trade you know, trade or anything like that. But boy, if, if, if you haven't woken up from the supply chain mess of the last two years and realized there's some things we need to do different, you're literally not paying attention. So we're going to talk all about that because again, just fascinated by this and really, really love the fact that you're trying to do this. But before we get into all that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Well, so that's a multifaceted story, but... (laughs) It usually is, but take your time. We got time. We got time. So I, so I started in business. I was 15 years old and I had had like a little landscaping company before that, but our first true business that would, that would become something. I I started as 15 years old and I kind of have to set the stage of, of what's going on at this moment in time. So it's February of 2007. And I grew up in a, uh, factory household. My father worked graveyard for a printing company for 28, 29 years. And that company was the epitome of what was wrong with American manufacturing. Uh, My father worked in the most profitable plant for this company in the country. Yet they sold or laid off the employees six or seven times in the last six or seven years of of, of that plant being open because they'd created such a toxic environment between the manufacturing employees and the management. And we saw this from the from the eyes of the of the children of one of the workers. So it, it kind of ingrained in my brother and I that there was something wrong in that industry in general. Well, fast forward, I'm 15 years old. We start our first manufacturing company. And we, we realistically we started as printing t-shirts for like high schools or or family reunions or anything like that. And I go back to it's February of 2007 when we start. So everyone knows what happens towards the end of 2007 and right at the beginning of 2008. Oh, yeah. Oof. That was tough for everyone. Just gone. And yeah, right. the last thing anybody's spending money on at that moment in time is a family reunion t-shirt or a any of these like giveaway things that you do when you have extra cash sitting around. So our model is just basically shot in, and it's shot overnight. So we had every single person that we'd talk to telling us, don't start a business now. It's a horrible idea. You guys are, you're going to this and that. And then finally somebody messed up and said, you're going to lose everything you have. And it clicked. I was 15 years old. I had $100. What was this person talking about? 
what I'm going to lose everything I have. And it suddenly clicked for both of us that all of these people that are telling us not to do it are telling us all of their fears and the reason why they've never started a business, not actually what's going on with us. So then we started changing our focus and went and found people who had started businesses. And resoundingly, every single one of them was like, heck yeah, how can I help? You, this is the perfect time in, in an economic cycle to start a business and stuff. And it changed our entire mind. So it kicked us off in this path of, of don't listen to what typical people are saying, because frankly, that they're just going to tell you every reason why they haven't done it. Yeah, for sure. It's uh crazy that way you yeah. know <laughs> it's like oh so let me get this straight like you've never done this before but you're telling me not to do it yeah <laughs> and 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 i i understand that i mean it's a fear thing i think one of the most challenging things to overcome as an entrepreneur is fear yeah especially yeah. when you know the status quo is the status quo right yeah and it's one of the most important things about being an entrepreneur is emotional control. Mm. And it's, and, and not saying, so I see way too many entrepreneurs that think that emotional control means don't be upset. Don't be sad. Don't be stressed. No, learn how to use those emotions to get you what you need and what you want. There are times to be mad and Mm. to lose it. There Mm -hmm. are times to, to be happy. There are times to be stressed. It's doing business is kind of like working out. Your muscles are going to get sore. If they didn't get sore, you wouldn't know that they were, they were growing and they were expanding. If you don't feel some stress and some pain in business, chances are you're not growing or expanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's a very good point. I think part of, you know, what we try to do on this show is to make it a little less scary, you know, talk to folks that have kind of overcome those hurdles and challenges and really, you know, it's a hard job, right? I mean, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It's not, you know, go get a job and, you know, put your time in or whatever. Um, But the satisfaction of creating something from nothing and helping people realize their dream of an independent life that completes them is a very powerful allure. And I think that's why I was so drawn to what you're doing um, at MRCA. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's a, haven't seen, I have not seen many of these kinds of things. Uh, Maybe it's just because I'm usually in the tech startup world. Yeah. So MRCA is special. It's, it's truly the culmination of uh, of the general partners kind of life function and work that they really we really came together to design something that was more important than just a manufacturing company so what mrca is is a private equity firm uh, for for all functional purposes but what we do is we go out and buy legacy us manufacturing companies these are usually going to be second, third generation. They're usually going to be in a smaller community, employ a decent amount of people, do really good work. They're profitable businesses, but they 
their owners usually at the time that he would like to exit uh, and doesn't really necessarily have a succession plan. And this is happening more and more. And it's they're starting to pop up faster and faster because you do have a baby boomer era that's right a, that's aging out and yep. that they want to go enjoy the, the rest of their lives. And we've spent as a country the last 30 or 40 years telling every young person that if they go into manufacturing, that that's a bad thing. So there's nobody to buy these businesses. So What's really going on is you got these profitable, healthy, very good, foundationally strong companies in these communities that they're important to. And if they can't find a seller, they'll probably either be scrapped for parts or they're going to be bought by a conglomerate that's going to shut them all down and move all the jobs to one one location. Mm-hmm. And destroy the, those local communities, and uh, you don't have to go far in the U.S. to see how much this has been happening. And frankly, the fact it's speeding up. Yeah. So it definitely, MRCA decided we're going to go in. We're going to buy these. We, it, they're 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 profitable. They're good companies. We add that revitalization to them because oftentimes the owners have decided the last ten years or so that hey, I'm not really going to change with the times. I know I'm on my exit path. And they're kind of just coasting out, uh, coasting out. So we come in and add that fuel and bring them to the modern era and take this 30, 40, 50 years of craftsmanship and skill and marry it up with modern, modern tech, modern processes and build out these companies as strong as we physically can. And then at year we're expecting between five and seven years from now. We are going to turn around and give 100% of the shares through an ESOP to the, the employees so that those communities are protected by the actual people in them owning the, the, these companies. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. It, it, it's, it's definitely a, a different model than a lot of people are used to. Yeah, uh, I know when we started in private equity, some of the bigger firms in the country, we, we had talked to a couple and they they looked at us like we were crazy that we were going to do this during ESOP on the exit. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that. I've dealt with a lot of them. I, I know their mentality. Yeah. Well, but we explained it and, and it was interesting because as we'd explain it about a week or two weeks ago by you get a phone call and go. I was just thinking when you do the ESOP, this is also going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's happened. Well, three or four of the largest private equity com- uh, groups in the United States have uh, recently, in the last two or three months, announced an ESOP fund. <laughs> so, I guess, I guess, st- I guess, imitation and stealing is like the ultimate form hey, you, of flattery, right? You, you know what? If it if it's going to help that many people and it makes sense for the investors, which is the, which is the, the rules that we had to we had yeah. to follow. We had to make sure it makes sense for our investors too because we we yeah. have a responsibility to them. But those two didn't have to be at odds. So we really worked to how can we make these people in these plants lives better and the more importantly the communities that they're in because it really manufacturing has throughout history, been the number one sign of a growing and healthy middle class in an economy. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, 
gosh, this is such a good idea. The, um, yeah, there's actually, there, I was reading an article about a town, I think it was called Erie, Kansas, I think. Don't quote me on that. But they had, it was a small town and they had a grocery store. And literally the grocery store was going to go out of business because profit or whatever. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, I get, you know, it was a small town, they weren't to it. And if that grocery store would have went out of business, the only store in town would be a Dollar General, right? And thus creating a food desert and all the things that is bad with the world, right? And so the town decided we're going to buy the grocery store, which again, different model than you have, but similar yeah. like for the community, right? And they bought it. And of course, you know, they've got it. And, and they thought of it as like running a utility, like, oh, we're running yeah. the power, the sewer, whatever. Okay, we need a grocery store. We're going to run the grocery store. And, you know, good idea, right? Very, I think, actually entrepreneurial for a government <clears throat> to do. But also, now the community owns it. And it's to your point, you know, this asset for the community that, the community has a vested interest in its success. And I like that attitude that we're keeping the profit goodness, I don't know what the word would be, in the community that's benefiting from this thing. That, that's one of the things that conglomerates just don't, you know, you're a line on a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> it, it, exactly. And What's also important is understanding the economic climate that we're we're correct we've entered into, right? The old conglomerate mentality isn't working anymore. Regionalized ma- manufacturing is drastically more effective because it it gets the products to the consumers faster and more efficiently with all of our transportation costs and and uh now with tariffs fees everything else it makes so much more sense to actually be as close to your consumer as possible so the original conglomeration model which worked for a long time is starting to change and you're starting to see people acknowledge that it's changing where it's okay maybe we do need to have a couple of these throughout the US or throughout an, a, a region so that we're directly impacting the the consumer yeah, I mean, there was actually I interviewed this guy Tino, who has a company called uh, Baru, B A R U, and what he was doing was taking the excess capacity of wood wood CNC machines, like CNC mm-hmm. machines that that cut wood, and his model was we will build you custom furniture, custom cabinetry through our platform and it will be within a 50 mile radius of delivery because he saw the same thing awesome. yeah. you see That's right a, like it's, it's yeah it's awesome it's, and why could there's no reason you can't do that given automation technology and you know what's going on i mean there was another one that literally i interviewed this other guy from fulcrum uh sunny han who fulcrum is a manufacturing SaaS company that basically makes manufacturing, you know, <laughs> up to snuff with the rest of the world. Uh, and he was seeing some, some similar things, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I think there's a big trend going that direction. And just like 
just like anything else when you're an entrepreneur is understanding that these trends are constantly changing and they're evolving and they're developing and you've got to keep your eyes on it and and really be willing to challenge well this is the way we do it and mm. well you know what maybe it's not anymore and I, the the one i hear all the time because we, we are very much about adding automation and processes like oh automation ch- takes jobs and i'm like no that's just simply not true automation creates jobs because yep. now you're competitive with low with low age countries yeah. so you can it, it's very hard to find an OEM in the US that wouldn't prefer to manufacture in the US that it, it every, everybody wants that frankly if nothing else just so they can stop by the plants and check on their products yeah but You've got you had to cross that precipice, and that happened a couple of years ago in the manufacturing space. But five, ten years ago, it suddenly became fiscally responsible to produce in the U.S. And a lot of people have this kind of aged out mentality of what manufacturing is. If you talk to somebody who's never functioned in the manufacturing space, they've got this Charles Dickens view of a factory. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, it's like the. Oh, there's dirt floors and there's machines breaking stuff and oil flying. Like that is, I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, they're dangerous places. And I'm like, you are more, you're probably safer inside of any modern manufacturing plant than you are in the grocery store because of the amount of lasers and sensors and all stuff. But people don't understand that. And the rest of the world in the last 10, 15 years, we have, at an epic exponential rate, we have made everything easier, safer, better. I, I, I any any kid who went to school in the '90s or before, you'll never you need to learn how to do that math because you'll never have a calculator with you at all times. Um, you were wrong. <laughs> like I have a calculator all the time now. Yeah, and, it's my phone. Yeah, yeah, and that same kind of thing happened in manufacturing. Is all of a sudden. About 30, 40 years ago, low-wage countries started influencing our uh, influencing the manufacturing space. And Amer- frankly, American manufacturing took a huge hit because we were paying good wages. And what ends up happening is it's a, a man-hour to man-hour trade-off. Okay, it, the, it goes away. Oil's still cheap, so shipping the products, who really cares? Well... American manufacturing did what America does best. It innovated its way out of the problem. Well, if it's man hour to man hour, I'm going to make my people more valuable for every hour they work. So you took all of the menial stuff out, had machinery, had processes, had computer systems do it all for you so that the humans are used what they're absolutely best at. And that's their critical thinking and their ability to multitask and all of these other things, which are not hard on, on people's bodies, like the old style of manufacturing, but we've got to change how people look at that because it, it, it's, it's crazy. Everyone thinks the world's changed so much in the last 15 years, but if you ask them about manufacturing, they're like, Oh no. Um, they, uh, the, the manufacturing hasn't changed. And it's like, well, you think it's the one thing in the world that didn't change in the last 15 years. Yeah, no, they've never been in a manufacturing plant for sure. I mean, even the ones in Asia, you know, I used to be in the semiconductor business. So I used to go to Asia a lot 
for um, what we would call assembly. So got the wafers made in a fab, take the wafer, send it to an assembly plant, makes it in those little chips that if you ever open your phone, you'd say, oh, what's that little chip? That's something with it. And that was not manual. <laughs> that was that was $300,000 pick and place machines with micron precision and bonders. And I mean, there were people there, there were some, you know, manual processes, but you could not have the level of quality required, Six Sigma quality required for making your phone work by doing that stuff manually. Yeah. And, and it's, it goes back to that, that moment of what's really important is taking humans and using them for what they're best at. Hey, dropping a pick and placing an LED on on a board at a micron precision. Hey, probably not the thing that the human's best at. But Tesla saw this in a very painful way. Frankly, is they tried to automate the entire the entire process, and they couldn't get the plant to run. So finally, they actually took out about half the automation, put humans back in in the critical thinking positions, and all of a sudden the plants are running great. And they, they, to Elon's credit, he came out and he goes, Hey, we over automated. It was our mistake, but we've corrected and now we're good. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a balance. You, you're really looking to, to push what is the most important thing that a, a person could be doing. And can we take away all the, all of the menial or unsafe tasks from them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happened in a fab. So back in the day, you'd have people in bunny suits going to the, you know, the etcher and the implanter and everything, you know, carrying the wafers and stuff, you know, the, like the most advanced fabs now, no one ever goes in the fab. They don't touch it. Yeah. It's all automated, but the folks, the, the real, like to your point, the brain power required to run the machine and figure out, you know, all the idiosyncrasies, that's a hugely skilled, valuable thing. And, yeah, I think I think the argument people use about automation is okay, your jobs were automated away. And you hear that a lot. And in one sense, that is true because if you're doing the old manual form of manufacturing, which is not obviously state of the art, and you're not trained to run the machines, well, yeah. But it's really, I don't think the American manufacturing, you know, hollowing out of American manufacturing was because of automation. It was because it was actually Company. exactly the opposite. Yeah. It was exactly the opposite. Yeah. It was it was the manual processes that that hurt the industry, mm-hmm. and and being having to go to competition with with wages that frankly oftentimes were un, they, they were unmoral to pay a person. But hey, it was happening. So the Americans uh, manufacturers sitting there going these these manual processes don't work, and. The other part of it too that's really important to keep in mind, we are consuming products at a drastically faster rate worldwide. So it, without automation, we can't keep up with that consumption. We have roughly, I mean, we, we, it, it, the amount of consumption is growing so much faster than the rate of human uh, uh, of humans. If you don't get some support in there, you'll just never keep up with how many products we we do I take take your razor uh, you, your grandfather probably kept his razor for 20 30 years had a little sharpener even for it did all that <laughs> yeah that's true yeah most true. people now I, i've got friends will only use a disposable one time throw it away yeah 
I mean, just the, the consumption speed, if you don't add in that, and, and that's why with MRCA, it stands for the Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation of America, because it isn't just about saving a one-to-one job. It's about revitalizing that person. So now they have a new set of skills or that they're, they're taking 20 years as a welder, but now they're running a, a welding uh, welding robot. I would take that 20-year welder any day over a, reg- a regular person because when the products are coming out, he or she is going to know how to look at the product and make sure it was correct. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs talks about this all the time, the amount of unfilled, blue-collar, highly skilled trades, craft, you know, artisan, I think it's ridiculously high, something like Eight nine million. Yeah, it, it's I, I. I almost never go into a plant anywhere in the U.S. and and we we see a lot of plants that I I, I ask, hey, how's uh how's employment? Uh, are you guys, do you guys have enough people? Oh no, I could take in 20 percent more people. I have the work. It, it's consistent, yeah. and, and I have seen people that took a lower paying, worse jobs in a different industry because they were embarrassed to tell somebody they worked in a factory, which that goes back to years and years of of bad conditioning. We've told too many people that these are undesirable jobs. And it's like, no, if you look at the new Tesla plants, that drone footage of flying through, it's it's like a museum in there. White floors, brightly lit. That is not what that, that that is not this hellhole of a, of a place, and we we really there's some work to be done of of revitalizing people's opinion also of of what these jobs are like. Yeah, I think there's a huge marketing task. To be honest, PR, publicity, marketing task. I mean, you know, I I grew up in the '80s where. You know, it's drilled into your head about college. And, you know, granted, I got an electrical engineering degree and an MBA. So, you know, my my college experience was relatively paid for itself pretty quickly because I had marketable skills, right? But if I didn't go to college, you know, I would have probably been electrician or a, you know, plumber or some some sort of skilled tradesman because that was just my inclination. You know, I like to work with my hands. Like I was, and I worked my way through college was actually did work in manufacturing. So I have, a, again, anyone that's listened to the show will know how fond I am of it. Um, how, how do you think we change the attitude? How, how do you think, are you guys doing anything around that? Like what, what's the kind of the, what's the plan, Jason? Well, how are we going to make this, so you know, it, <laughs> what's the plan? It, it, it starts one step at a time. It's so the way we explain it to to everybody. And I, I talked to a lot of manufacturers. I and frankly, I, I talked to a lot of of shows and all that. But it, the best and most effective way to do it, in my opinion, is not to go preach about. It. It's to actually do it in the plants. So you get you take a company like MRCA. We work to take care of our people. If Joe gets off work and his body's not tired he's not he, uh, he's not 
sore. He feels fulfilled that he actually did something good today and built a good product and is proud of what he does. When he goes home, instead of that kind of move, that Hollywood picture we have of a guy coming home from a factory, cracking a beer, sitting on his lazy boy until he falls asleep. Instead, Joe goes out to his community and he coaches the his son's little league team, or he's out doing something and he's he's part of that community. Maybe he's going to dinner and someone turns to Joe and goes, you look happy. What do you do for a living? And he goes, oh, I work at such and such plant. Oh, are you in management? No, actually, I, I, I'm a manufacturer, uh, manufacturing employee there. That's what changes the image. And that's what changed it the first time is how many, if you go back 40 years, how many parents were telling their kids at that time for or 40, 50 years ago, go get a manufacturing job because they're going to take care of you and you're going to always have skills and you're going to have a pension. I, yeah. I don't think most people even know what the word pension means anymore <laughs> coming out of school. I, I agree. I mean, my, my dad has one because he worked at United Airlines, but yeah, I mean. Yeah. So w- with MRCA, our ESOP exit, is a pension for these people. Right. That's how you do it. You do it by proving what you're doing. 100%. And and we share our model with everybody. And you, you hit on the stealing or copying. I would I beg as many people to steal or copy our model as possible because that's how you change the effect. That's that's truly the best way to do it because once once a couple of people start seeing it happen, you you realize that there's a lot of insurance agents, bankers, all that, that actually really like to work with their hands, but they were told their whole lives that, oh, no, no, you need to go into one of these careers. And they are unfulfilled because it takes somebody who really likes to work with their hands and make them do paperwork all day. I've yet to really see any of them that were super happy about what they did for a living. Yeah, it's pretty soul crushing. I mean, even what I do with my day job, you know, I'm the head of market strategy for a consulting company, B2B consulting company. And uh, yeah, I mean, I sit at a computer all day, but I love nothing more than to build stuff, right? And that it's just inherent, I think, in some people, you know, it's it's fascinating because I, I think the tide is going to change. And, and I'd love your opinion on this. I think Gen Z realized that they were given a they were told a lie about the about college and all the hard work and all that. That's why you see the a lot of the trends in the great resignation. You also see the quiet, quiet quitting phenomenon where and the nostalgia for the 80s, <laughs> which I yeah. talked to someone about, which is really cool. Because <laughs> cause because this guy, uh, Chris Clues, he's this, this 80s guy. It's great, fascinating stuff. And and I'm like, who comes up to you after these? He does keynotes. And he's like, well, Gen X for sure. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I, I love, I love the 80s stuff. And he's like, Gen Z. And I'm all, well, why is that? And he's like, they tell me it's because the pop culture of the 80s was more real than the pop culture today. And they feel like it's actual real things. And 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 I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because. I truly believe in what you're doing. I think it's great. I think you you're what you're doing is perfect for this point in history. But do you think that like Gen Z is just going to be on board with this or 
How, how do you, how do you, how does the demographic pull into play? I'm fascinated. If, if, so if, if, what I'm, what I'm seeing from my, my role at MRCA and kind of what we're seeing in markets, G- Gen Z went back to being told you can be whatever you want to be. So what, what happened with, with a lot of kind of, let's say, 90s kids, uh, late 80s kids, they were told you can be whatever you want to be as long as it's something that mom and dad think is special. And I think what happened is Gen Z watched their parents do those jobs and they could be whatever they wanted to be, but they had to be a, a lawyer or they had to be an accountant. And I think the tone changed and it was no, go be whatever you want to be. And I think that's what we're seeing is people back to the freedom of, Hey, I, I want to do this or I want to try that out. I may, maybe I'm going to pop around a couple of things until I find something that's right. Hey, college isn't necessarily for me. And I think that freedom to choose is happening a lot, which is exciting. And I think it's that if that trend continues, you're going to start seeing massive fruits from that because it's putting people where, where they feel fulfilled or what they're looking for. And of course it's never perfect, but we're seeing it where people want to be welders or I want to run robotics or I want it. And you're like, great, then let's do it. And I, the last two decades have been impressively complicated in the U S I mean, you take the dot com boom, mm. uh, or the dot com bust, mm. the uh, September 11th attacks. Then we go into the 2008 crash, and then you know what? Let's just throw COVID on top of it for the fun of it. There's a lot of people coming up right now where it's like, hey, even the best plans are going to get torn apart. You might as well make one that makes you happy. Interesting, yeah, huh? There's a lot of factors coming together, huh? Yeah, it, this is a special time. It, it's I am I'm I'm very very excited personally for what's going on. If you pay attention to history, these are the precipice moments that most governments, civilizations, even throughout American history, we've had a couple of these. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden everyone kind of snaps and goes, "You know what? We're doing it." And it just takes off. And it's awesome and it's, it's great to be part of. Yeah, maybe it's just back to our sort of frontier, rugged individualism, collective mentality. I I mean, I know a lot of people poo-poo that because they think it's, I don't know, somehow exploitative or somehow dominant by, I don't know. like. So I I come from a family that immigrated here. Uh, Mm -hmm. My my father was the first one. uh, My father and my mother were the first of their families here. And we grew up with the lens of in the U.S., you always have opportunity. It's your choice whether or not you take it. Mm. And I think that's what makes this place special is at one point or another, everybody came in with that mentality. And if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are saying, I am going to make this better, I'm going to make it stronger. And I I gave up a lot to get here to do it. 
I think that has historically made this country absolutely amazing because it isn't necessarily easy to make that transition. My, my, my father's family, they, they, they damn near lost everything to get here and they were where they came from. They were, they were well-to-do and, but it was, it was about the, the opportunity. And in the U S when you, a lot of, a lot of my friends throughout the world, one of the beautiful things they're like in the U S you say, I want to start a business. And almost always you're going to get at least some friends going great. How can I help? Where other places in the world, people are like, Oh, you know, that's going to do that. And it's just like, Hey, that's not helpful guys. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, we we've got a, there's a spark here. That's different. It's just different. I, I always have a hard time explaining it. And I don't think it's a, I think there's some, there's a huge amount of goodness here that gets sometimes doesn't get amplified. And I actually also love the fact that, I mean, we, we traditionally in our founding have been a nation of immigrants who have come for opportunity and relatively, I would say done. Okay. I mean, you just look at people want to come, still come here, you know, all of our challenges and struggles, people still want to come here. And I think reinforcing and strengthening what you're trying to do with the manufacturing sector and making that up that a noble i think it's the the nobleness of it that i just i just find it a noble profession you know it 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 is a noble profession but the the part that i've always loved about it the most it it's fulfilling mm. the, you, you see i i am very fortunate that i've got multiple very, very early Tesla employees on my team. Hmm. I mean, some of which were there before there was a factory. They were, they were there to help build the original factory and, and the team to do it. And I listened to their stories because these guys came from all over the world to do this, to build a car that no one said could ever be built. And Every single one of them consistently. I'm like, why did you leave the country you lived in to go work for this company that didn't even have a factory yet? Right? Because we knew that it, the day that car rolled off for the rest of our lives, we'd tell our family, uh, we'd tell our kids and our families that we changed the world. Yeah. That that's that's special. I I, I don't that there's there's nothing else you can say like that. And there are people, and me included, the first time a product rolls off, it's just the best feeling on earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I know exactly how you feel. There's nothing yeah. like it. There's just nothing yeah. like it. And I think it, going to that community side of it too, if you can have people feeling like that, I mean, look, really look at, when we had, when American manufacturing was at its peak, that's also when our local communities were at their peaks. Yeah. That, agreed. That, that, there's no, there's, it's not like a, a, a coincidence of a correlation. This is, this is when th- things are thriving all stuff. And then you see what happens when that company leaves. We've yeah. all seen the factory town movies. 
Yeah, I mean, Flint, Flint, Michigan is the perfect example of that. Detroit, Detroit. Michigan. (laughs) Yeah, Detroit even worse. Yeah, that good point. Good point. Yeah. So we we see what happens when we lose that cornerstone. And we touched on a little bit like education. Manufacturing is one of the only industries in the world. And I've, I've really had trouble finding something that mirrors it. That you... Any person can walk in the door and get a job. They will be trained on site. And most companies actually nowadays prefer to train you on site because they don't want bad habits from another plant. And you have upward mobility unlimited throughout the company. And a lot of industries say that, but you're eventually going to hit that, oh, you need an MBA or something like that to be higher than this. I know a lot of, and these aren't small manufacturers, these are, multi, these are some of the biggest names in the world, that they're, towards their executive level, you've got guys who started on the factory floor. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, that, and, and there's not another industry like that. It, it, there really isn't, that you can come in, zero education, have no clue what the company does, walk in, they will train you for a couple months, pay you while they train you. And then continue to pull you up the train because they'd rather have people from the floor level come up, uh, come to the offices than they would trying to bring in outsiders. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. Jason, this has just been such a great conversation. I really love what you guys are doing. I wish you all the luck in the world. It's so important. I think it's your moment in history. We definitely got to turn this around, no doubt in my mind. And I think you guys are part of the solution. So, I, I appreciate appreciate it, and I I, I agree with you. I, I think this is this is the moment in time to really start putting things in a good direction. Wonderful. Stay safe. Keep in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Jason, uh, for an excellent interview. Uh, as anyone that's ever listened to this show knows, I have a special place in my heart for people that make things, and manufacturing just seems like such a no-brainer to bring back here and strengthen here in the U.S. I mean, there is just a lot of a lot of goodness there, so thanks uh, for your insights. Now, on to the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Jason. Automation has not eliminated jobs per se nor does it have to. What it does mean is that people are needed for doing jobs only people can do, involving critical thinking and problem solving. And so, yeah, the interesting thing about the whole automation and outsourcing to you know China and Asia for manufacturing, I mean, when I was in the semiconductor business, and we did all our manufacturing in the Philippines for the chips and stuff, and you go there, and it's literally these massive machines, and someone had to create, you know, like run them, right? But the majority of the stuff was automated. The stuff we did do that was manual, of course, lower cost uh, areas and sources are easy, easier to get. But I mean, still took a lot of skill. So I hope that uh, as we start to bring manufacturing back more and more, that it'll be uh, those skilled jobs operating the actual machinery, right? That's what is, I think, the most skilled part of it all. And I think really uh, a way to you know, bring back some uh, some pride in what we do and build here. The best way to change the perception on working in manufacturing is by ensuring employees are happy and fulfilled. 
showing that manufacturing be a route to a fulfilling work life. I know that I'm a very uh, physical person. I like to build things and touch things. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if I didn't work at a computer all day, I would definitely probably be building something. I'm not sure what, but I think that's true. I mean, part of the challenge of gutting the manufacturing sector that, of course, you see time and time again is that, you know, college isn't for everyone. And I think that's really important that we not only celebrate and educate and inspire the entrepreneurs in the tech fields, but also entrepreneurs of all sorts of walks of life. At least that's what I'm trying to do on the show. So one early lesson Jason learned was to not listen to others' fears, especially those who haven't been entrepreneurs themselves. Once he started seeking advice from successful business owners, he found a lot more support, encouragement, and help. Yeah, I mean... I think you want to talk to people that are in it with you, been through it, you know, like we like to say on the show, uh, they're a little ahead of you and a little behind you where you are. And I think that's really important. Sometimes, you know, people are going to give you bad advice, especially if they've never been an entrepreneur or they're actually afraid to do it. They're going to dissuade you from living your dream. And I don't think you should do that. So, you know, ask some questions like, you know, where's this person coming from? Do they have my best interest at heart? Have they been through this before? Have they done this? Or are they just, you know, don't want you to do it because they can't do it? So, yeah, there you have it. The actionable insights from my awesome interview with Jason. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.